Between the kids being home and hosting, everything in our house gets used up in summer. With Instacart, I can save money by stocking up on all my favorite summer brands. I save time by getting everything delivered in as fast as an hour. And I save myself a sink full of dirty dishes by stocking up on paper plates for the annual summer cookout. Save more on summer essentials? Spend more time enjoying summer. Add summer to cart. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders. Offer valid for a limited time. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome to The Final Four is Not on the Schedule. I'm your host, Eric, alongside with expert analyst, Rod. Thanks for joining us on the best MSU basketball podcast featuring an in-depth recruiting, game matchup, and post-game analysis. We dive deep to give you the best tools to enjoy the Spartans and impress your friends and family. Hey, everybody. It's Eric here alongside Rod, and we're going to do our post-game show for the Grand Valley State game, which was the exhibition here to start off the 2022-2023 season. Michigan State won 73-56. Uh, before we get into that, I just want to thank Juris Clovins for a one-time donation to PayPal. And as a reminder, to keep, help keep this show behind, not behind a paywall, uh, you can certainly go to tffinots.com slash support. Uh, you can do a, be a monthly donor or you can give one-time gifts via PayPal or Venmo. I'd also encourage you to go to the website to sign up to be on the mailing list and then also to join our Spartan community on their message board and the forum that we have created. And finally, if you've not yet had an opportunity, please go to the podcast player of your choice and rate and review the show. We appreciate those written reviews. They help drive other Spartan fans to our show. All right. So a lot of anticipation for this season. Uh, the football's kind of gone south the last month and a half. And so everyone's excited to be back on the hardwood. And... Um, I got back. It was nice to be back at the Breslin Center. We had a new parking spot. The heckler was still behind me, so unfortunately that hasn't fixed itself, but it will next year when we get the seat reassignment. But anyway, uh, I was, I think, very pleased in general, I think, uh, with a lot of the questions we had going into the season. And I I, I, got, I don't know, where do you want to start? Should we just go through the five keys or just your general impression of the game? No, we talk about general impression of the game first, I think. Um I think I'm I'm with you. There were there were definite there were definitely some things to really like and be optimistic and enthused about. Uh, there were also some things, in fairness, that were not great, and we'll talk about those. I think, in general, Michigan State obviously gave a much more focused performance on the defensive end uh, and on the glass to some extent in the second half, and that's why you saw a five-point halftime deficit turn into a 17-point final margin of victory. Uh, they were, I mean, the the numbers, sometimes numbers can obscure the truth. <laughs> In this case, they don't. In the first half, Grand Valley shot 51.6% from the floor. In the second half, 276 That's a big difference. Yeah. And, I, and I don't think in this case it was just because shots weren't falling. I, I think Michigan State did, in general, a much better job defensively in the second half. Some of the Grand Valley's success in the first half, I think you give credit to them. I think they hit some tough shots in the first half, but in the second half, you saw Michigan State bring a much more focused and higher energy effort to the defensive end, and I think it the numbers reflect that. Yeah, my impression was of the game 
certainly early on, it, it felt like they were sort of playing down at the competition or they hadn't taken Grand Valley very seriously. They were sort of playing it like a scrimmage and just almost like a practice. And I think not with the intensity that you'd, that you'd expect, although maybe I guess you'd expect it for this sort of game. And, and, and I think, yeah, I do agree that Grand Valley hit some tough shots, uh, but I think that's sort of a, a reflection of sometimes of, you know, once you've had some success, you just feel right. more confident when shooting. And so you're going to hit shots that are a little bit hard that you weren't hitting or that you would ordinarily hit. And then by the second half, when uh, Michigan State started tightening the screws, they really had struggled getting to any sort of offense and really having, you know, I mean, there were a number of possessions in a row where they just couldn't, I mean, they were barely even on offense. They would turn the ball over. And, and I think, and I want to say my one impression besides before we get into the specific things, I, I was really surprised that Michigan State over, uh, had a dozen steals. I mean, I don't remember the last time we've had that many steals. And they weren't just like knocking balls away in the paint or out, you know, out of the bigs' hands. It, they were like stripping guards and very active uh, from the, in the perimeter in getting those steals. And, and, that just, and that just, I don't feel like I've ever seen that before. It's been a long time since we have. I, I do realize it's Grand Valley, et cetera, et cetera. But still, that was that, that sort of defensive focus or, I guess, edge is something we just haven't seen, I don't think. I, I think that's true, and I think this is something I believe we touched on at some point in the preseason. They have a group of guards that are much better with their hands than we typically see from a Tom Izzo team. And you even saw that last year, I felt at times. Tyson Walker in particular is a guy who – has, I think, found that balance between playing aggressively with his hands, causing disruption, forcing turnovers without gambling. That's that's yeah. why you typically don't see Michigan State do very much of that. Um, Tom Izzo's defensive philosophy is not predicated on being disruptive that way because usually when you have guys that are you know gambling for steals – they are truly gambling, meaning if they lose, they're giving up a wide open shot, penetration of the rim, et cetera, et cetera. Those are the things that Ezo doesn't want. He, his defensive philosophy is predicated on making you take a low percentage shot. That's it. And, and so he would much rather have guys stay steady and not be looking to try to strip someone. That said, if you can do that while staying steady, fine. And I think Michigan state has a group of guards that are capable of doing that. I mean, just to put some numbers to what you're talking about between Hogard and Walker, the starting guards alone, those two guys combined for 10 steals. Yeah. Hogard had four Walker had six. That's an incredible number. They got three other steals from other guys. Um, one from Jackson Kohler, one from Jason Whitens and one from Trey Holloman. Uh, they don't have Jaden Akins yet, who will be another guy who is has the potential to be disruptive. Um, I think that the MSU guards as a group have a chance to be really, really good defensively. Like I didn't even feel AJ Hogard played particularly well defensively, not especially in the first half. I didn't think he was very good at all. But they still, as a group, even with that, and we know AJ's capable of playing good defense, um, still as a group, even with him kind of on an off day and Jade Nakins, who might be their steadiest guy not playing, they still look good because Tyson Walker was so good. 
And, and I was really impressed with Trey Holloman, not surprised, but impressed at both ends. I think defensively, you know, I saw Jim Comperoni made a comment last night, which was interesting to me. He said, um, he thinks that Holloman has a chance to be, and I'm paraphrasing, but a higher octane Travis Walton. And what he's getting at there is I think, and we've talked about this before with Trey Holloman, because he was also a football player, he's got a little different kind of mentality than many of the guys who come through the program these days in an, in an era we're in where there are fewer and fewer dual sport players coming out of high school. Trey Holloman is one and he kind of approaches defense. I don't know if you felt that way watching it, but I did um, very impressive the way he defended. I mean, he is up in guys grills and he takes it as a personal challenge. And I, I think you saw a lot of good things from him in that area for sure. So yeah, I, I obviously I would agree with what you said. It was kind of an uncharacteristic performance from MSU in terms of the number of steals that they had. But I also don't think it's the last time we're going to see that kind of thing. I don't either. And I and to your point initially that you know it's you're maintaining position and staying solid so that people can't blow by you. You see lots of the steal attempts. People you know lunge for the ball to you know get a fast break, and if you miss it, then yep. you're the guys by you. I don't think there are any of them that were that like that. They were just. I mean, Walker especially just has really fast hands <laughs> and I don't, it, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's going to be a, he'll be a challenge for lots of point guards uh, this season. So, but, but that's, a, but that's the thing though, man, just not to belabor it, but it's not just him. No. Right. I mean, Jaden Akins can guard point guards. AJ Hogarth can Trey Holloman definitely can. They've got a whole group. Those four guys who I don't want to be. And, and here's the other thing I felt, I, I don't know how you how you saw it, but I think Michigan State, at least last night, and I expect to see this as we go into the season, is playing a little more aggressively in terms of how high a line those guards are taking. You know, we're used to Michigan State not a not playing a true, you know, sagging kind of defense, but they've never been particularly aggressive with ball pressure. You know, as a rule, that's that's not generally MSU's MO. Um, but I think this group is going to apply more of that than we're used to seeing because in part, because I think they can do it and not get burned for it. Yeah. You know, I think these guys are good enough and they're athletic enough as a group that I don't think they'll pay the price you sometimes do for being that aggressive. Yeah. And I think to your point too, you look at Walker, I mean, six feet tall, but he had two blocks in that game and those were legit blocks. Too, yeah. Right? Like he, he just murdered people. They got by him and it didn't matter. <laughs> well, yeah. And Hogart had two blocks. Um, I mean, that's the thing. We Michigan state 13 steals, 10 blocks as a team. Now, yeah, it's grand Valley, blah, blah, blah. It's still indicative of the activity level that you're playing with. And so that's something I think to be happy about and to watch as, as we go forward. Well, and I think it just emphasizes what we had anticipated coming into the season. The strength of this team is going to be the guard play. That's probably, you know, that that's where you're going to get your scoring. That's where you can get your defense. Uh, and then obviously the other areas are more questionable, especially down low. Um, well, let's just start. Let's go into the five keys of the game. The number one was to stay healthy. As far as we know, everyone was healthy. Jade Akins didn't seem to injure himself running onto the floor a couple of times when I watched no. the TV timeouts. <laughs> uh, he looked pretty good. I mean, just, just running out, like hugging people and stuff like um, So... 
he looked fine. I think you know, Tyson Walker cramped up a couple times, but they're just cramps. Ogard sort of kind of half twist his ankle, but he came back and seemed fine in the second half. So I don't think there were really any issues there. So at least that part, yeah. <laughs> my son turned to me and said, I hope Whiten's, you know, doesn't blow out his other ACL or something like that. And yeah, <laughs> indeed. No, I, I think you're right. They seem to come through it just fine. So, um, yeah, mission accomplished. There. So then let's talk about, I guess, one of the negatives. And so one of the things we were looking at coming into the season is, you know, can the, def- can the offensive and defensive rebounding improve, especially specifically defensive rebounding? And, yeah. you know, the final rebounding stats are, uh, Michigan State won 39-37. They gave up 12 offensive rebounds. They had 10 of their own. Um, I guess you'd say against a team that you wouldn't, ex- you would expect to be able to push them around a little bit. They, I know they are D2, and we talked about this. They're not like a real t- small team, though. Like, I feel like I've seen some of these D1 teams come in from, you know, like the SWAC and stuff, and they're really tiny teams. This team was not really small. Um, but in any event, I don't think the you know, rebounding, I don't know what the, what the edge is. I don't have it broken down by half, but I think they had the rebounding advantage at halftime. And then, you know, Michigan State was a little bit more um, in focus in the second yeah. half. So I guess you'd say. Concerning, I would, I was, I was happy to see Hogard get. He had but four rebounds or something. Um, he had, oh, I guess, two. So I thought he had more. Oh no, he had five rebounds. Yeah. So he he was pretty active. Um, so they got some rebounding and you know plays they don't you don't expect to get it. I I don't know. I mean, I guess what's your impression? I think it's something they just need still need to work on. If you're looking for the biggest negative, that was it. Um, I did not think they did a great job. They're better in the second half, but. You know, here here was a stat that I think is is kind of of telling in this game. Grand Valley had nine team rebounds, five on the offensive end, four on the defensive end. So that means where the ball's knocked out of bounds, and they determine possession off a missed shot. Nobody gets a clean rebound. That to me, and Michigan State conversely only had three. Mm-hmm. Um, that as much as anything else tells me something about the toughness and the activity level that the two teams played with. I just didn't think, and Izzo said the same thing. I'm not reinventing the wheel here, but (laughs) I, I'm, I was not overly impressed with how hard Michigan state went at at the boards. It's gotta be better than that. It just has to be, um, I didn't have a problem with the big men, and I rarely do. I think Michigan State's big men generally approach it the way they're supposed to. You know, uh, Mati Sissoko had six boards in 20 minutes. Jackson Kohler, five boards in 13. Um, Joey Hauser may be a little disappointing, only four rebounds in 27 minutes. But, you know, by and large, the bigs I thought were okay. It's just I'm a broken record on this. If Michigan State's going to get better as a group, it's going to have to come via the wings. Now, now in fairness to them, they're missing Jade Nakins, who has the potential to be as good as anybody in that group on the boards, you know? Yeah. Um, so that is, that's a loss, but that, that can't be an excuse. I just, I was really disappointed with that first half rebounding effort. Again, it got a little better in the second, but they got a long way to go. You know, and um, and it's going to require everybody. You can't, you know, Malik call three rebounds. Uh, that's in 29 minutes. That's not good enough. And I don't, you know, I hear this stuff 
from from some people who cover the team about you know the Malik call the three thing that one of the problems is it's taking one of your better rebounders and putting him in a position where he's not going to be around the rim as much. Okay, I, I get that point, but I also know that in the modern era, that's not what it's all about because you have so many three-point attempts that go up. You have so many rebounds, range rebounds that are outside of the area that a big man typically is going to be in that your wings need to be active. And that was a problem. So Malik, I, I don't buy that as an excuse for him that, well, he's playing a lot of three, so he's not in prime position to get a lot of rebounds. I don't buy that. Yeah. You know, he's got to be better and not just him, everybody, but um, yeah, definitely disappointing. And if you're looking for one thing to be concerned about coming out of this game, that's it. And it also happens to be the thing that I think we both believe Michigan state's got to get better in if they're going to surprise to the upside this year. Yep. And then, uh, one of the other keys of course was transition. And I thought the transition game was okay. I mean, their fast break points are 21 to seven in advantage, Michigan state. Boy, I, I gotta say, I don't, I don't feel like it was that much. Uh, there were a couple of breakaways no. and, um, that, I, but that's it. Yeah. It was, it was the, what, what transition game I remember them having was largely off those strips, yes. which is fine, but that's not how Michigan state typically does it. I thought, I thought MSU was not good at all in terms of pushing the ball. And part of that was their inability to get clean defensive rebounds. So I'm talking about those team rebounds. What a telling stat that is to me in this game. It's because grand Valley was getting to loose balls a lot. Even if they weren't securing it, they were deflecting it. They were forcing Michigan State to deflect it. Preventing clean rebounds is going to hold MSU's transition game down. I also thought that Grand Valley did a pretty good job in terms of floor balance. So I'm, you know, we've talked about this in the past (laughs) on this podcast. I never trust the fast break point stat that you see in the box scores. And I don't trust this one because it did not feel like MSU had 21 fast break points. No, I agree. I mean, there were, yeah, I, I we'll just leave it at that because I, I guess I can't go back and remember every single time they, they might've happened. Like you said, it might've been off turnovers more than that. We just don't recall. There was some of that. There was some of that, but MSU just, I didn't feel that they were, you know, to be honest, this was a subpar game overall from AJ Hogarth, not a total disaster because he did some good things, but that was not the best of AJ Hogarth in the first half. He was very shaky defensively. He got better in the second. Um, but I also didn't think he was looking to push as much as he needs to. I didn't think MSU's wings generally ran the floor as hard as they need to just in overall, it felt like it was a little bit played in molasses. If I had to use a word to describe Hogarth's play, I would just use the word casual. He seemed yeah, to yeah. not play the near, you know, just, he just shows up and he's just going to kind of just be there. And, uh, that's, and, they, and, and, and it's look, it, the, the flip side of it is I thought Tyson Walker was as aggressive as I've ever seen him. Yep. And I thought he looked like a guy that is ready to stand up and take charge a little bit. I saw hints of that last night, which is really good, but. Michigan State's got to have better than that from A.J. Hogarth. They have to. 
he can't he can't come out and just as you say play casually and think that that's going to get the job done he isn't that good yeah i think you know one example is he had four turnovers that game which is a you know uncharacteristic for him i guess you say well he had four steals so i guess he broke even but uh, he had four turnovers, yeah, that's not, that's not five assists. Right. It's not right. It's not, it's not the typical thing. And, and a couple of those were just him just dribbling into too much traffic, like just kind of silly. I don't know. I mean, it was just, it looked it, again, I just thought he looked casual. He didn't have a lot of intensity for that game. He just kind of showed up and, uh, not ready. Just kind of almost like, uh, someone going to training camp and just, you know, not taking it quite seriously yep. enough. Who knows he's on the, he's going to be a starter. So he doesn't have to worry about things. But I totally agree. Walker, that was hitting those curls, like 15-foot jump shots, you know, which were wide open. And, I mean, reminiscence of that Michigan game in Ann Arbor last year where he passed every single one of those up. And this time he was shooting them and made most of them. Well, and, and talking about Tyson, you know, okay, he was two for six from three. You hope for a little better accuracy. But I'm I'm just enthused by the six. Yeah. In that equation. He he wasn't hesitating, not once. And you remember how often we would see that last year, a wide open shot, be it from three or be it inside the arc that he would pass up. I didn't think I didn't think there was a single occasion in that game where he had a good look that he passed on. That is what they need, period. If right. they get that kind of play, that kind of aggression from Tyson Walker, we're going to like the results. And you probably could say if he's shooting two for six, three for six every night, you probably take that. It's not, it's not absolutely right. I mean, that's not 40%, like plus 40, but with that sort of volume, if you're hitting high thirties, you probably will take it. He'll shoot better than this. Oh I yeah. Mean, for I, sure. I, I think I'd, I'd be surprised if no matter what the volume is, if he's not, you know, around 40% at least. Um, but that's the thing. If he's 40% at a much higher volume, that's what you want. And to speak about shooting, you know, Malik Hall was three for five from, so he looked just as good as he did last year. He looked solid from deep. And then, okay, so I saw Hogard shoot at Moneyball. I was not impressed. He looked good. I mean, both his shots. Yeah. Uh, and I think they both were in transition, sort of, or like he was, um, I feel like they were, one was in transition, one was like he was rotated back to him, right? I think. And, and No, one one came inside out. With uh, right. Jackson yeah, Kohler, right. I believe. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, didn't hesitate, just just drained it. And I, he's obviously not going to shoot 100% all year. Or I don't I don't know. I mean, I it looks really good. I, I guess I don't know what else, else to say, except that I think that's he's not going to be sub 30, right? I mean, I think that's probably a very good development. That's one of the things we're hoping for this season. I think we're going to get a better plus 30% shooter. That's That was the big positive from AJ, I think. That, and he just, he had a little more a little more juice in the second half overall, but yeah, the shots falling. That's a, that's a big deal because if, as we've talked about before, if he can be, you know, even a 30% guy, it changes the way I think it, or we talked about how it was strange in some respects to me, at least that uh, defenses didn't sag off him more last year. But I think if he can truly be a threat, at least a credible threat from three, it's going to continue to make things available for him it, it, in terms of his real strengths, which is getting to the rim, converting himself or finding others on kickouts or dump offs. Um, and that's where he really shines. Yeah. He had a couple of nice lobs inside to Sissoko yep. and he had, yep. a, and I was watching them as they were trying to guard him, you know, and 
they would there are a lot of missed steals, and then he's past them, and then he's trouble, you know. For, and then also them trying to even pick him up from that far out, he kind of gets by him anyway. He sort of just bodies him out of the way. It's he's a yeah. tough guy to cover six four. Um, he's a yep, and big, strong, yeah, strong guy. Um, all right. So then the thing that everyone was you know apoplectic about all summer, worried about, concerned was Madi Sissoko. What's going to happen to the five? This team's doomed. Guy who can't stay in the game without fouling. I will admit I was guilty of worrying about the fouling issue as well. And I realized this exhibition, my wife turned to me and my son were like, yeah, they're going to be fine. <laughs> and so I, you know, I think it's, it's important to point out. We're not think at least I'm not right now saying Madi Suzuka is going to be big 10, whatever number of the, of the year or any team, you know, in the season, like he's a third team, all big 10 or something like that. But I think, I think you can probably, feel fairly confident he's going to be serviceable. He And if anything, you he didn't look lost. He just looked like he just didn't have much experience. He just looked like a guy who hasn't played much. And that's kind of my impression. But he didn't he didn't look like he was playing without confidence, which I always felt like last year he was playing to just like do as much as he could with whatever little bit of time he had in the game. And I he didn't look that way to me this time. And I was watching him when he's off the ball, which I don't even could see on TV because I was – and. I thought he looked pretty good. I don't, I mean, seemed to be able to come out on ball screens a little bit and didn't seem to get lost on switches. I, I don't know. What's your impression watching the game? I was very happy. I was very happy with the play of the fives as a group in general, but let's start with Madi since he played the most minutes. Um, I was most interested in him as a defender because to me, that's where the rubber hits the road for him and for this team is they need someone and he's the guy he's the candidate because he's the veteran they need someone to be able to go out there and do the the minimum level things that they need from a five um i thought he showed an ability to do those things you know you talk about not looking lost and and all that um that is a function of confidence and you you feel confidence when you feel as if you understand what you're being asked to do, it enables you to play faster and it enables you to look like you're playing with a purpose and with understanding because in fact you do have a purpose and you do understand. And that is where he has gotten to. Now, I'm not saying this is a smooth path up to first team all big 10. There will be bumps in the road. He's going to get, you know, at a minimum, he's going to get severely challenged early in the season with some of the big men that he's going to face. So there are going to be some moments, some rough moments. You just have to accept that. That's that's what's coming. Okay. But in general, I think you saw plenty from him last night that confirms all the things that people who have watched practices have said, the things that Izzo has said, and and now we're we're seeing it. Um, I thought he looked actually really good on pick and roll. I I didn't recite it and look, Izzo's gonna have a different take on it for sure. But to my eyes, um I don't recall any occasions where he made at least blatantly obvious mistakes in pick and roll coverage. I thought he was able to contain the dribbler and yet not get lost with the roll ban. Um, that's what Michigan state needs. They need some, they need a big man who can 
extend those plays out, extend that action out, not give up quick hitters, either on a roll man to the rim or an open look or penetration to the rim from the point guard. You know, that's the bare minimum. And if you can't do that in the modern game, you are in a world of hurt. And Michigan State seems to have a guy who's capable of doing those things. You know, um, in terms of post defense, I thought he was okay. You know, there were some occasions in the first half where he got scored on, but you know, that kid, he was the transfer from Northern Illinois, led them in scoring in the Eastern game and led them again last night. That kid can play. He's good. And I mean, that's obvious. Yeah. And, uh, and I wasn't worried. I wasn't bothered by that stuff too much. You know, again, in low post isolation situations, against certain guys, Mahdi will have some trouble at times, but I also think he's capable of putting up some resistance. I've seen enough there to believe he looks like he knows what he's doing. And then you, you add in the other elements. I thought rebounding. No, he, he hasn't turned into a dominant rebounder by any means, but I thought he looked better. You know, the biggest thing was something that I think Jim, I saw Jim Camperoni mentioned after he'd watched a practice and you could really see it in that game compare how often Madi last night was playing off of two feet, as opposed to what we saw in his first two years. If you think back to a lot of occasions where Madi Sissoko over the last two years is let's say going up for a rebound, he's often in a situation where one leg is splayed out. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And he's he didn't a, yeah, see that last base. night. Yeah. Yeah. He's playing offensively, defensively, and in terms of rebounding, he's playing off of two feet, which is going to make a big difference for him, I think. So the rebounding, not a dominant performance, but decent. Something to build on. I think I think it was plenty okay. Offensively, I mean, he had that turnaround jumper on the baseline. Yep which you're seeing a guy who's worked very hard. And I think now, again, I don't think Michigan state needs him to be a double digit scorer, And I don't think he will consistently do that for them, but I think he's pretty clearly capable of giving them some offense. This is not the same player you've seen the last two years where it all ends up in terms of accounting stats and all that, that remains to be seen. But this is clearly a guy who has made the jump that Izzo talked about um, over the offseason. And, you know, if they get that kind of play from him, well, guess who maybe looks smart for not having (laughs) rushed into the portal? How about that? Uh, The other two guys, I thought Jackson Kohler had that quick burst in the at the start of the second half, early in the Mm -hmm. second half. Yep where he showed you what, <laughs> what he could do. Yeah. They're impressive moves. <laughs> yeah. Um, I thought he was okay. You know, look, we, we, we know going in pick and roll defense is going to be a challenge for him. Um, learning how to run the floor the way Michigan state demands is going to be a challenge, right? But everything you hear is that his work ethics, great. His want to is great. I think he will find ways to get better. It's just going to take some time. You know, you look at that game. He had six points and five rebounds in 13 minutes. Yeah. I know I talked about this in the preseason, 
this is what he's capable of doing and what I think we will see from him. His per minute production in the counting stats is going to be good. And it's going to make casual fans or even media types who don't actually watch the games wonder why isn't this guy playing more? Yeah. Well, that's because the equation is how much is he given away defensively in order for you to be able to take advantage of what he can do offensively and as a rebounder. And that is going to be the tension all year long for him. But I thought he, I thought he showed out pretty well um, for his first, his first real action. And, um, and again, he's another guy I think is going to look very different in February than he does now. And then Carson Cooper, uh, you know, didn't get a ton of run, but played. And I think showed the kind of ability to move that we've been talking about. He had one thing I was kind of, it was impressive, but at the same time, something he's got to learn. He had that play late in the game where uh, he sent a, a shot into the fifth row. His, it, he oh, got yeah. his block. And the thing is, that's not what you want to do in that situation. You want to control a block so you give your team the chance to get possession, right? That, right. that swatting into the fifth row stuff is, is kind of 70s, 80s <laughs> basketball. It's not, it's not really how you're supposed to do it these days. So he'll learn that. He'll get better. But other than that, um, I was pretty happy with uh, the way he played as well. The way, again, with all these guys, my primary focus was just on how they're moving. So some of what you were talking about, how do they look lost? And I didn't think even Kohler, I don't think Kohler looked lost particularly. Um, I just think he's got some nuances to figure out. He's not, he doesn't have the greatest, the quickest lateral movement. So it's going to be a process for him to figure out ways to cheat that a little bit and get better. Um, but all three of those guys, I thought, moved confidently. They looked like they knew what they were doing. And um, they all had their moments. So that's really encouraging. Yeah, I thought the the one in block that Sissoko had, I watched his, yeah. you know, the guy got by and he came off his man for weak side uh, block and protected the rim. That was really great. He recognized when it was safe to, to move over. I thought, and to your point, I thought he looked like he knew where he was going and he he was covering ball screens well. He And there's I think there's little doubt who the best five man is it's Sissoko and it's not even really close uh you know offensively you could argue Kohler's got some offensive moves and stuff but he still looks like he's not quite you know he's just doesn't quite know where he's supposed to be I was watching him and he just looked at times like the switches and people coming down throwing screens down low he he just looks a little lost at times which I would totally expect for a freshman coming in right. playing uh you know this kind of basketball so I I think he'll be like you said he'll be different in February Let's also let's also note that uh, Mari Sissoko, twenty minutes played, one foul, and it came with six and change to go in the game. Yeah, if you had Mari Sissoko with one foul with thirty-four minutes of the game on your bingo card, <laughs> yeah, Th that's why I I really do I think you know, again not not to pile on Graham Couch because I understand where he was coming from, but. And it's also not to say there won't be games where body gets into foul trouble because I'm sure there will, but I think we're starting to see enough data points coming into play. You know, what Izzo had has had to say about him in that regard, what reportedly he did against Tennessee in that way. And now we've seen it in this game 
he's clearly playing differently. That's a, that's a big difference, right? He's just playing smarter and he's, he has better position and he's just, and I think you went to Jim Comperoni's point where he's playing on two legs and he has a solid base. So he's yeah, not, absolutely. Re- so he doesn't, he can't even, if he wants to, he can't even reach. And you know, what always got him into trouble is over the back where he's, and he's not like he's seven, three, right? So he would end up running to people. And that was something else I, I, it's worth noting too, I, I, that I liked about the way he played last night where I said, well, he didn't have a dominant rebounding game and he didn't, but, but you know what he also didn't do? He wasn't trying to make those five percent or two percent plays where you have a rebound he's he's screened off uh boxed out uh or just too far away from the ball to have a realistic chance at getting it and yet still tries to make a play yeah that is that is where big men more than anything else i think get themselves into trouble is on plays like that and you didn't see Madi do any of that last night so that that ability to discern when the moment's right to try and make an effort play and when it's going to put you in a bad spot is really important. And I think he passed that test with flying colors as well. Yeah. So then, then I guess the the next step would be to sort of anticipate where you want to be in order to make, have those opportunities to get those rebounds and that's, you know, next level. And um, yeah. And to your point, I Hauser had one foul, at least one where it was the, you know, trying to go over someone and yeah, he had a deflection. He yeah. was trying to deflect it, kind of the, the slap back to the perimeter and he got called and, you know, and, and once in a great while, that kind of moment is, is fine, but um, you know, it won't hurt you that much, but it, it, unfortunately guys who tend to do that, do it a lot. And Madi definitely had been a guy who had shown that tendency in the past. He didn't show it last night. Yeah. So I think, you know, overall you're looking at it, it's an exhibition game. So obviously the game doesn't count. It's just basically a scrimmage that we can watch as fans. And so what do we take away? The things, I think the things looking into the season, we were concerned about the five. I think I'm not concerned about the five. I don't, I'm not going to point to it as a strength, but I think that is not something to be worried about as much. In fact, it may be, I mean, maybe better than last year, which I think is not impossible to believe is uh, the case. I think the shooting is improved by Hogard. Whether you know where he ends up is, I think, going to be questionable. But I think the shooting overall is probably going to be fine. It's the rebounding that'd be the one concern, I guess, you have going through the rest of the season. I think the rest of it, I think they looked pretty much like we expected and hoped they would. And so I, I still remain cautiously optimistic about the season overall, and recognizing too that our best—I mean, potentially our best player, one of our best players—wasn't even on the floor. Uh, our be- one of our, our best athlete, right? So there you go. That's the first thing is, you know, the, this team will also take on a different dimension when they have Jaden Akins out there. I, I do think it's going to be interesting to watch how the rotation evolves, because I think there are there are some things to watch. Um, one of them is this. Uh, there's the Malik call the three thing and so i think there is a feeling among some that that's not utilizing him at his best position and i understand that train of thought but i think the difficulty is they want to get he and hauser on the floor much more than they did last season Mm -hmm. and i think that's correct i think that's the right assessment 
if you thought that you could get away with playing one of those two guys as a small ball five and the other at the four, okay. I don't think they're going to be able to do that for long stretches. I think we'll see that as a move they can make, but not with frequency. So if you're going to get Hall and Hauser out there together a fair amount, it's got to be one of those two moves. Either one of them plays the five or one of them plays the three. And I personally think even with any questions some might have about Malik calls a three, I think that's the better of those two options across the board. That, that's my feeling, at least at this point. Uh, you know, maybe I'll feel differently down the line. But it then raises, uh, there's a real question that's facing Michigan State coming up probably over the next few days. When Jade Nakins is back, what happens? Um, I think the Tyson Walker that we saw last night clearly is a guy who deserves to start, whether he does or not, I, I don't know. Um, but how do you make that work? Because I think the feeling is, well, Jade Nakins is clearly a starter. So is he starting at the two and Tyson is coming off the bench? Um, Cause I, I think they'll still stick with AJ as the point guard um, yeah. as the starter rather. But I think how the rotation works with the, that combination of players that I just walked through is going to be very interesting because Izzo's got to make some decisions and he's got to get buy-in from those players. You know, whoever, look, whoever the sixth man is, is going to play a lot of minutes. They're going to play starters minutes. I mean, we know that, but I think sometimes there are certain guys who can thrive in that role coming off the bench, take it as a challenge. And there are other guys, you know, we've talked about this in the past with Joey Hauser. That he just seems to be a guy that kind of psychologically needs to start. Mm -hmm. So I don't know what MSU does. I mean, obviously Jaden Akins came off the bench all last year, but I think, I think his expectation and frankly, it seems the coaching staff's expectation is that this year, this time around, he's a starter. Yeah. So what do you do? How do you make all those pieces fit? Um, so that's one thing. Uh, I think another thing that I find interesting, you know, the word I got is that Pierre Brooks played pretty well against Tennessee. I didn't think he was great last night by any means, no, no. although I will say he had one play that, had me excited with the, for the only points he scored the offensive rebound yes. and put back. Yeah. He scored. They need that. And that play is a absolutely clear cut bit of evidence as to why I think Pierre Brooks needs to be in that rotation. He's got something to give that they don't get from anybody else on the roster. You know, I, I, I won't name the podcast, but I was looking at a, a podcast. I'm sure a lot of our listeners also uh, see um, after the game last night. And there was talk about, well, you know, with Trey Holloman's wingspan, um, you know, he, he can probably play about as big as Pierre Brooks did. And he could take some of those minutes. If Pierre Brooks doesn't get it into gear, <laughs> I said, look, I, I'm Trey Holloman 
I've been insistent is going to force his way in a minute. So that him playing well and looking good does not surprise me. But Pierre Brooks gives you a different package in terms of his size and strength than they have from anybody else on the wing other than Malik Call. So you've got to get that from somewhere. They're going to need that. And again, as part of this, in my mind, imperative to improve their defensive rebounding, the wing group has to be a part of that. Pierre Brooks should be a part of that. Now, he's got to do those things. But um, that's something to watch. I was just going to say, I wonder if he has to recognize that maybe his way onto the floor is to be a rebounder more than a scorer. Because I think he thought like last year, as soon as he gets the ball, he's got to get, he's got to shoot and score. Yeah. And I, I still think some of that's going on. I think there's, look, I think it's fair to say that there's still some reprogramming that might need to happen with Pierre. I wouldn't, I wouldn't argue against that notion, but I, I've, I've seen some stuff today that I really like and doesn't jibe with, um, with what my understanding is, yeah, uh, you know, lots of, let's just put it this way. Lots and lots and lots of guys who every Michigan state fan looks back on with great fondness had moments of tough love as freshmen and sophomores from the coaching <laughs> yeah. staff. And maybe Pierre Brooks is going through some of that now, but his, his package, his physical attributes and his skill set is, something that this team absolutely can use and, and needs in my opinion. So that's one to watch, but he's got to play better too. In fair, it's not unfair at all to criticize the way he played overall yesterday. That's fair, but I, I've seen some stuff today. I didn't really like um, in terms of uh, criticism uh, of him that I think is unfair and not reflective of the reality, at least as I understand it. So there's that. And then the, the other thing I'm really excited about, more so even than I thought I would be, watching that game yesterday. Boy, Michigan State is in good shape at the point. They really are. And it's so critical because, you know, even though it was a not a great game for AJ Hogard, he still, if you look at the performance, it doesn't look that bad on the stat sheet, right? Right. And we know that wasn't a great performance, but he still contributed. Tyson Walker, clearly capable of helping out at that position anytime you need him to. Um, and now you add Trey Holloman. And I think, you know, Trey Holloman had maybe one of the best first games from a freshman I've ever seen when that freshman didn't score. <laughs> yes. I thought, he looked so comfortable running their offense. He does not look like a guy that's going to get flustered. He looks in control. I think he's, um, and he's capable of doing more. I mean, this is a kid, if you watched him, his high school clips, this is a guy who not only is capable of making the right reads, he's capable of making spectacular plays as a playmaker. We will see more of that. I'm sure as his career goes on. So he's got a, he showed a lot of good things last night. He's got even more to show. And then we talked about him defensively. I, I just think, you know, it's it's going to be hard to keep that kid off the floor because I think he does he does the things that Izzo values so much, 
And and I'll tell you, if you're AJ Hogard, you better not sleepwalk through too many more games. Yes. Yeah, you'll get pulled for him for sure. Yeah. They can use Trey Holloman as a true freshman as a guy to hold others accountable, which is a remarkable thing, but I think it's true. Yeah, my my son turned to me and said, they need to call him the safe because he locks you down. And I thought, <laughs> but but he was really good on the ball. I mean, he was, no one got, no one got by him. He, I, he had a couple deflections, a couple of steals, I think. Uh, yeah, and, he had one, well, he's credited with one steal, but I thought, I thought just in terms of, you know, fighting over the way he handled pick and rolls, um, where I thought AJ was lazy a little yeah. bit in mm-hmm. the first half. Um, Trey Holloman was not lazy. The way he squares up a ball handler, the guy he's guarding, and doesn't doesn't give up dribble penetration easily. I mean, it was it was just really really impressive. And then again on offense, just looking toward. I mean, I can count guys who were great point guards at Michigan State who I didn't think looked that comfortable this early with the ball in their hands as freshmen. I mean, he just he he knows what he's doing. Right. And he played 17 minutes. He's over two from three. And those are his only field goal attempts. But he had three rebounds, one offensive, three assists and a steal. I mean, that's not bad. And no, and no turnovers, no right? turnovers, no fouls. Right. Yeah. Uh, he, I, I would, you know, I think, you know, watching the game, their offense did not run as well when he was in as point guard. That is as much a reflection of who else is around you can score, et cetera, et cetera. So, he, but he was defensively very good. I mean, I, I can definitely see why it's going to be hard to keep him off the floor. Like you said, and he will easily yeah. be a person you use to keep people accountable. And, and going back a little bit to Malik Hall, the one, I guess the one criticism I would have of Hall in that game is when he was playing three defensively, he struggled a little bit. I don't know if it was just yep. the, it was yep. the quickness or it was just where he was playing on the floor. He just maybe wasn't used to it as much, but he definitely struggled a little more, but you could definitely see them having, uh, you know, him playing the four with, with, uh, Aikens, Walker and Hogard, And then either, you know, have either Sissoko, Kohler, or Hauser in at the five too, you know, giving spells. So I, you could still have a, you could see him probably playing both, but maybe a little bit more three than four, like 60, 40 or something. I don't know. I mean, it's my hunch. I, I look, I think when, when Aikens is back, they will, they will use Malik more at the four than they, than they did last night. I, I think that's, you know, that's the equation for sure. But I don't I don't see I, I get the sense that there's some people who think that this Malik call the three thing is just another Izzo offseason talking point when push comes to shove, it won't really play out that way. I don't believe that because of roster construction, because of who is on this team. Yeah. And they feel they need to get certain guys out there together and for you know, this has been an ongoing point of discussion with Malik call for the last two years, at least is sometimes he struggles. And particularly, I think he struggles when he's not being utilized enough. So then the argument comes, well, you got to play him more because that gives him more time to settle into the game. And then eventually you get, you know, the kind of performance you want out of him. Well, that means he's got to play minutes. So how do you get him those minutes? You're not, you're not going to play Joey Hauser 15 minutes, right? You know, that's not going to happen. So what else are you going to do? I think you're going to have to play him some of the three. You're probably going to have to live with some defensive issues there from time to time. It kind of also depends on who you're playing against, right? 
Sure. Some teams will have a more dynamic three than others. But look, it may be something that we end up looking back at and saying, you know what? Um, This wasn't, this didn't play out to their advantage. But I understand why they're doing it. And I think it's the right thing to do. It's just that you have to understand it's like we talked about the other day, trade-offs, right? Yeah. <laughs> so there's a little bit of a trade-off here that you just kind of have to accept with the idea that you think in the end, it will make you better for having done it overall. And we'll see what the verdict is on that. Yeah. Well, I think that's probably wraps up our discussion. I think overall pleased with the perform pleased with what we saw that things we had concerns going into the season outside of the rebounding. So hopefully that gets a little better. Maybe that's a, a function of just people getting used to each other and where they're going to be on the court. I, I don't know. So, uh, anyway, uh, I suppose we'll talk to everyone else in a couple of days as we get ready for the opener in five days now against Northern Arizona at the Breslin before we begin the gauntlet of playing like how many rigged teams do we have in the first like six games? It's gotta be like five of the six, right? I think are. Yep. Everything except Northern Arizona. Yeah. yeah. Well, is Villanova ranked? Cause I thought I didn't see them oh, on yeah. the list. Okay. Yep. Maybe I was just looking at yep. someone's ballot. They might not, they might not deserve to be. Um, <laughs> well, it's preseason. I think, no, right? I mean, yeah. that's, yeah, it's, well, it's, it's some, you know, Jay Wright hangover, new coaching regime, but they've also got a couple critical injuries right now. So I mean, specifically right now, are they worthy of being like, you know, top 20? I don't know that they are, but we'll see. Well, I guess, uh, and if you're not yet following us on social media, please be sure. And you can check us out on Instagram. We're on YouTube. Uh, we're also on Twitter. You can, at Twitter, is, the handle is uh, at TFFINOTS68. So until next time, Final Four is on the schedule. Go Green. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.